listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our mystery in a moment. I want to thank all of our supporters. If you would like to continue to see us grow, please make sure you hit the subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. The best way to support us is to share our podcast with friends and family. Thank you for all of our supporters. And now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. We've done stories about mobs before, and easily 90% of them were a reaction to some kind of horrible crime, like murder or rape. But in tonight's story, the agitator that caused an angry mob to dynamite a canal system is a villain we have all battled, the annoying mosquito. Well, to be fair, not just a mosquito, a plague of them of biblical proportions. So many that the residents of Antwerp, Ohio, formed an army to take on the winged pests, even though it also meant taking on the state's National Guard. This unusual uprising is known as the Reservoir War. It took place in 1887 in Paulding County. It happened right around Canal and High Roads in Crane Township, that's just east of Antwerp. But before we go there, let's travel back in time a little bit more to set the scene. It's the 1840s, and Ohio was in the middle of its canal-building era, erecting those watery thoroughfares that helped move goods and settlers around and through the young state. It was a time when Ohio was still filled with virgin forest and primitive roads. A clean shot down an unobstructed canal could take weeks off of land travel. Paulding County, along the northwestern edge of Ohio at the Indiana border, was a significant crossroads in this effort. It was home to not one, but two canals, the Miami and Erie, which ran north to south and carried people and goods from Toledo to Cincinnati, and the Wabash and Erie, which ran east to west from Toledo into Fort Wayne, Indiana. The two canals crossed in a small hamlet called Junction. Both of them were a critical leg of a shipping canal that allowed boats to travel all the way from up in the Great Lakes, down the Mississippi, even out into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, to serve the two Paulding County canal lines, the state created the Six Mile Reservoir. This was just outside the village of Antwerp. They dammed up Six Mile Creek and created a 2,000-acre body of water that could be used to refill the canals if the water levels got too low. It was an extremely difficult project. There are reports of Paulding County serving their canal builders whiskey on the job to keep them motivated for the hot, filthy hard work. 
But when it was done, the benefits were obvious. For the next 10 years, the canals fueled growth in Paulding County. Settlements grew, hotels and manufacturing enterprises were born, and the county found a market for its timber. Forests were cleared, swamps were drained, and all of this created more coveted farmland. But there's a sad truth about Ohio's canal system. Because almost as soon as they were done, they were already becoming obsolete. Progress took its next giant leap forward with the railroads coming through, an even faster form of transportation that made the canals suddenly seem slow as molasses. The Wabash and the Miami canals only operated for about a decade before sections of them started shutting down. In some cases, they were filled in so the railroads could lay tracks over them, since someone had already done the hard work of clearing the path through woods and brush. Indiana had given up on the Wabash and Erie before Ohio did. And as they dismantled their sections, it cut off the flow that made the entire canal a fresh, live body of water. And when that happened, the Six Mile Reservoir also went dead. You see, when water loses its current, it stops generating the oxygen below the surface that keeps fish and plants alive. But there is something that loves stagnant, stinky, unmoving water. The mosquito. It's their breeding ground. Now, I called mosquitoes an annoyance earlier, but that was a huge understatement. Because those little monsters are actually the deadliest animal on earth. No living thing, not even humans, cause as many deaths every year as those little bloodsuckers, thanks to their ability to spread malaria and other diseases. The other bad thing about stagnant water is the smell. Just imagine all the decaying matter trapped in a body of water with nowhere to go. An 1872 article in the Antwerp Gazette described their hot summer months when a breeze would lift the noxious smell of thousands of dead fish and carry it a mile and a half to the homes and businesses of the villagers. There was yet another reason residents were sick of that reservoir. The reservoir had often overflowed its shallow walls, and that rendered about 15,000 acres of the countryside around it completely worthless because of the flood risk. Citizens were willing to put up with that when the canal was bringing in money and business. But now that it was only being used by a handful of timber barges, it hardly seemed worth the loss of so much potential fertile land. All they saw was a large, gloomy, impenetrable swamp. The residents of Antwerp, at the time the most populous village in the county, begged the state to abandon the reservoir. In 1878, Solomon Stambaugh, who owned over 200 acres that had been flooded by the reservoir, took the state to court and won. 
But it meant nothing, because the state still owned the rest of the reservoir, including the banks that surrounded his little 200 acres. And the state was holding on because there were some very influential businessmen in the nearby city of Defiance who wanted to keep the canal open. As limited as it was, these timber haulers could still use the water to float their logs to area industries. So local residents had to put up with battling mosquitoes and the stench of death for another full decade. Then they'd had enough. In November of 1886, some scoundrels, as news reports called them, blew up the banks of the reservoir. But the damaged area was quickly repaired. The state offered a $500 reward for information leading to the vandals, but nobody took them up on their offer. In March of 1887, the vandals tried again. This time, a large group of men with pickaxes and shovels went to work under cover of night, trying to break the wall that held the water back. But it was a big job, and before they could complete their mission, they were discovered. The defiance timber haulers brought in security guards to keep watch over the reservoir 24-7. That only kept the mob at bay for another month. And on the night of April 25th, 1887, they were back. This time, up to 400 of them determined to finish the job. They'd been meeting in secret and planning their strategy for weeks. They carried a flag that said, No Compromise! A motto, by the way, that Paulding County still uses today. The mob, most of them wearing masks, overtook several reservoir guards and held them while they carried out their plans. They planted dynamite at the reservoir and two of the locks along the Wabash and Erie Canal. At midnight, they set them all off. They also poured coal oil on the lock and reservoir keepers' houses and set them on fire. The explosions freed the water, and the surrounding countryside was flooded. The defiance businessmen who had tirelessly lobbied the state to keep that canal open hurriedly sent telegrams to Governor Joseph Forker, demanding he take action. So the governor sent in the state militia. Troops from Toledo and Columbus arrived by train the next night, nearly 80 of them, armed with muskets, bayonets, and a Gatling gun. They set up camp in the village of Cecil, halfway between Antwerp and Defiance. Then they marched to the reservoir. There was no enemy for them to face. Everyone was gone. And the subsequent investigation into who was responsible went nowhere, Everyone in the county was set on protecting the vandals since they were all in favor of getting rid of the nuisance. The governor noted that even local officials were refusing to intervene. In the end, no one was ever punished. No one was ever identified. But there was a death. Within two hours of his arrival, a 19-year-old soldier named Fred Reeves from Toledo's Company H, accidentally shot himself in the head while on guard duty at Cecil. 
He died instantly, becoming the only fatality of the Reservoir War. The militia stayed for a week and became quite the attraction. Area townspeople poured into the temporary tent city that had been labeled Camp Dynamite to mingle with the soldiers and see that Gatling gun. Historical accounts of the event suggested never before had an invading army of soldiers been greeted with such a welcome as locals fed, chatted up, and exchanged jokes with the uniformed men. They even joined them for Sunday service and mourned the unfortunate fate of Private Reeves. About four weeks after the departure of the militia, Governor Forker visited the site himself. Apparently, seeing was believing. After viewing the conditions for himself, he declared Paulding County's grievances to be legitimate, and there was no point in trying to repair the damage. In March of 1888, the state legislature finally voted to give up the Six Mile Reservoir and the Paulding County section of the Wabash and Erie Canal. The village of Antwerp celebrated their victory that 4th of July with a parade and a festival. Even many of the National Guardsmen returned for that event. At that event, they did a reading of a poem which forever cemented Paulding County's new motto. I thought I'd share a few stanzas. The shades of night were falling fast when through the streets of Antwerp passed a gang with banner overhead which bore the legend, dire and dread, no compromise. The townsmen cry, where do you go, ye men of measured tread and slow? Can nothing turn you from your course? The answer came in voices hoarse, no compromise. The reservoir must go, they cry. We'll drain it out and run it dry. We'll blow it up with dynamite and all resistance put to flight. No compromise. Anyway, there's more, but you get the idea. Anyway, after Six Mile Reservoir was dismantled, Six Mile Creek was restored, and the land around it was recovered and planted with corn and other crops. Part of the reservoir wall still exists today. It's a historic artifact. A couple of years ago, a marker was placed near it to commemorate one of Ohio's most unusual conflicts. By the way, thanks to Aaron, a listener originally from Antwerp, who suggested this episode. If you have a great story from your Ohio hometown, be sure to let us know. Shoot us an email at feedback at ohiomysteries.com. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, share our podcast everywhere. We are currently trying to reach our goal of being the number one podcast on KillerPodcasts.com, which we currently hold the second most listened podcast there. I know you can help us get there. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present 
If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.